Hey mamas and welcome back. So this week we are rounding out the month of October, which is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Month. We are going to be speaking with Erica Seifert today. And Erica and I actually grew up in somewhat of the same area in Indiana. And we had some friends in common, but we didn't really know each other until we connected on Facebook, actually during when I during the time when I was a wellness coach. And uh, we've just kind of kept in touch here and there. And of course, when this podcast launched, we found that in our conversations, that we were having some pretty similar experiences in regards to our own miscarriage journeys. So I wanted to have her on today and really... Our goal was to share our own experiences, swap our stories, and provide you a little bit of enlightenment. When you find out that you have experienced an early miscarriage, there are so many questions. You're grasping for answers that sometimes just aren't there, and you're trying to figure out kind of what decisions you're going to make in this next moves going forward. And I found that we both found that maybe there was a little bit of, of lack here in regards to resources. And so our goal is to share our own experiences, provide you a little reassurance, maybe some comfort, some enlightenment, and minimize the mad Googling that can really happen. Before we go on, though, I want to mention to you that and remind you that we are not doctors. <laughs> so if you have any additional questions, if you need more clarity, please reach out to your doctor, your provider. Because the purpose of our episode today really is to just validate what you're going through, offer up our own experiences for reassurance and comfort, and just simply offer up perspective. Before we head into the episode, though, I want to read this quick review by Megan F. She says, this podcast is so inspirational, yet so real at the same time. I appreciate Sarah diving into the nitty gritty of being a mama, mama to be, or mama patiently, or not so patiently, waiting for the blessing of a sweet babe. Thanks for talking about the hard topics like infertility, but also giving us hope that at the same time, through your guests or inspiring relatable words, i.e. every bucket has a bottom. So true. Sarah has a gift and it comes through her through our speakers in these episodes. Megan F., thank you so much. You guys, these reviews mean so much to me. And if you are paying attention to each of these episodes, I'm reading a review that maybe you wrote <laughs> before I even dive in. So you guys could have a chance to have your review heard, your words heard. If you are loving the content, if you're loving this podcast, please, please, please not only share it with your friends and other mamas, but please take a moment and let me know what you're loving. Write a review. So if you haven't done it, pause the episode, go do that now, and then dive back in. So without further ado, let's hear from Erica. Welcome back to the Mama Inspired Podcast. Whether you're struggling to become the mama you've always known you're meant to be, or you're holding that miracle in your arms, hear me now when I tell you that you are not alone. And that on the other side of this hard, a brand new life awaits you. Hey lady, I'm Sarah Wayne Scott. I'm here to encourage a more enlightened, compassionate, and empowered mom collective. I believe that through guru guidance, stories from mamas just like you, and a whole lot of momspiration for me, we can begin to make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. So swap out the breast pad, wipe off the barf, it's mama time. Well, I'm really, really happy that you're here. And I know, you know, we've, we've done this call in the past and 
kind of gone over your story, but we we skipped mm-hmm. over a ton of details. So I'm really, I'm anxious just to kind of hear a little bit about how you would tell it. So why don't you tell everybody about yourself a little bit and then head into your story? Okay. Sounds good. So I'm currently living in Orlando. So I was really excited when I found out you guys made the trek over here. So unfortunately, we have not been able to meet up yet, but I can't wait until we can once COVID kind of calms down. But my husband and I have a three-year-old, Elijah. And so my story starts out a little bit before the miscarriages too. So when we were trying to get pregnant with Eli, it did take us a few years. You know, I never saw a fertility specialist to get pregnant with him. But we did all of the preliminary workup with our regular OBGYN. Everything looked fine. We couldn't find out why. We just could not seem to get pregnant. So um, it was probably about 18 months after trying that we started trying to get help. So our last step before going on medication to try to get pregnant with him, we had an HSG, which is where they do an x-ray to view your uterus, your uterine cavity, your fallopian tubes, and make sure everything is open. Um, And they use an oil-based dye that they insert before they take the x-ray. And so I didn't know this at the time, but apparently an HSG can make you more likely to get pregnant. And lo and behold, the next month we were pregnant with Eli. And once we got pregnant with him, it stuck and we had no complications and we welcomed him into the world in November of 2017. So we had a little bit of experience with infertility while we were trying to have Elijah, but nothing compared to what was going to happen after we had Eli when we were trying for our second kid. After, okay, so we had Elijah in November 2017. When he was about 10 months is when I finally got my period back. Um, I was exclusively pumping with him. So it took a while for everything to get regular again. And we decided that we were just going to start trying right away. Since it took us almost two years to get pregnant with Eli, we were like, well, let's just go ahead and start trying now. So we'll get pregnant by the time he's like two. And then we'll have another baby. So the first month that we tried, we got pregnant right away. And so we were so elated because, you know, our struggle with Eli was that we couldn't get pregnant. And then once we were pregnant, everything was fine. So I had no inkling or, you know, I told everyone as soon as I found out, which was just close family, which was fine. But when we went to our eight week appointment, we saw that there was just a sack that measured about five weeks. Um, and so this is where the first miscarriage came in. So at this point, because I had just gotten my period back and wasn't super regular, the OB was very adamant about like, well, let's go ahead and wait two weeks, which is like the worst thing that you hear when you're going for your eight week appointment. And, and I could tell that it really shouldn't have been measuring five weeks based on when I had that positive pregnancy test. So I definitely had that feeling that something was wrong. So we were told to wait two weeks. They sent us home. I was obsessively Googling everything. And then actually a few days later, I started bleeding. They got me in again, saw that there was really no growth taking place. And so that was our first miscarriage. My body just didn't recognize that I had a miscarriage. So um, this 
this one, we ended up having to take the misoprostol, which I think we'll get into a little bit later. So that was our first miscarriage. So the doctor, they assure you after your first miscarriage, like, you know, this happens to so many women, far more women than not will go on to experience a successful second pregnancy. So, you know, we were obviously upset and devastated that this didn't work out the way we wanted to, but I was still very optimistic and hopeful going into, you know, trying a third time. So we didn't do any workups. We went ahead and started trying and got pregnant again in February, 2019. So that was just a few months after the miscarriage had like very light positives on the pregnancy test and the HCG numbers were a little bit low, but it was doubling. So we waited that long wait for our eight week appointment. That eight week ultrasound, the baby was measuring seven weeks in one day and the heart rate was just 110 BPM. So again, as I mentioned before, I am an obsessive Googler and even going into this doctor appointment, I knew I knew exactly how far along I was because I chart everything. I knew exactly when I ovulated, when I conceived, as soon as I got that positive pregnancy test. And I knew that six days was just outside of the scope of a normal deviation that early on in a pregnancy with the machines that my OBGYN had. And I knew that the heart rate really should have been like at, at least 120. But the doctor that I saw, he kind of assured us like, Hey, you could have just been a couple of days off where this looks nothing like your first miscarriage and gave us a really good outlook on everything when we finally talked to him. But the, in the back of my mind, I just felt as if something was wrong. So, um, and then just a few days later, again, it's crazy how this always happens. Like right after these ultrasounds, it's almost like your body wants to help you out and give you answers right away. But just a couple of days later, I went home and had some spotting. So I called the doctor they got us in some, that eight week appointment was on a Friday. They got me in the following Monday and the heartbeat had gone in just that amount of time. So clearly there was something wrong with implantation there. It just, you know, that one wasn't meant to be either. Uh, So then after that second miscarriage, my body did kind of the same thing it did the first time. It just didn't realize that I had miscarried. And the doctor gave me the option to either wait it out or take that same misoprostol pill. And I went ahead and we did the misoprostol with that one as well. Okay. So after the second miscarriage, that's when you really start kind of questioning like, okay, is something wrong or did I just get, you know, a bad roll the dice two times in a row. And I know that you spoke to that in your last episode that you dropped because you have had a very similar experience. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, And still going through it. So we decided to do some extra tests with my OB first before going to a specialist to see if she could find like, you know, maybe there was a simple solution that she could fix and it could be easy. That was my hope. So we didn't go to specialists had the OB run some tests. She did um, karyotyping, did check my uterus for any abnormalities. We did blood work for any clotting disorders like lupus or things like that. Everything turned up okay. So we did have one more 
pregnancy before seeing specialists, and that one was a chemical pregnancy. So I got a positive pregnancy test, but then I noticed like a couple of days later when I took a follow-up one, it was just getting very faint. And then eventually I just started my period. So I never saw a doctor with that one. So still, I mean, it's not as heartbreaking as seeing your baby and seeing a heartbeat, but you know, the more miscarriages you experience, it's your hope just becomes like more and more crushed. Like, is this ever going to happen for us? So at this point, my husband and I agreed that we were going to go to a specialist, do all the tests, find out, try to find out what's going on. Because, you know, the number one thing that you want after this too, is just to find an answer. But, um, I know that most women who experience recurrent pregnancy loss, I think it, I think like more than half of women who experience recurrent pregnancy losses don't actually ever find out what the reason is. And, and that ended up being the case for us. We still don't know. Um, so we finally went to a specialist. I'm sorry that this is like the longest story in the world. No, please. It's not. It's not. This is important. It's important. So we, uh, we finally went to a specialist. I found someone, um, who I really like in Orlando, she did even more tests, uh, did a biopsy of the uterus, did, I can't remember what the exact procedure was called, but actually like inserts a camera into your uterus and looks around and they take a biopsy of the inside. Wow. So she actually was able to find a couple of things that my OB did not find. She found some inflammation in my uterus. And so that's called endome. Oh, what was it? It's not endometriosis, but it's similar in that it's just an irritation in your uterus and it's caused by an imbalance of bacteria, bad bacteria to good bacteria. She said it could have happened after childbirth with Eli because it just can change the flora. You know, you go through so many changes or it could have happened after one of the miscarriages that we had. So Um, I actually was really excited when she found this because I was like, aha, like we have an answer. So, and it's an easy answer and it's an easy fix. I went on antibiotics for four weeks, which is like, I mean, relatively easy, but (laughs) not the greatest thing in the world. (laughs) So it took that course of antibiotics. Um, and then she did a more in-depth panel for my thyroid. And she said, you know, I was in the normal range, but it really could have, she wanted to get me into the optimal range. Okay. So she did tweak, she gave me some thyroid meds to, to get me into the optimal range. So I felt really hopeful at this point. We're tweaking the thyroid meds. We're finding inflammation and treating that. So with these two things, you know, our hope was coming back. So what she likes to do with I guess people in my predicament, I'm sure it's different for everyone based on, you know, what kind of miscarriages they're going through, but she wanted to do a monitored cycle with us. So that's where you take letrozole on like days three to four. And that is similar to Clomid, which I feel like more people have heard of Clomid than letrozole, but this one has a little bit lower of chances of having twins. So we went ahead and did the letrozole. And then that's also supposed to just help with your like uterine lining. It's just supposed to help a bunch of things. So the way my specialist explained it to me is that we're just trying to cover all of our bases. Even if we don't think, you know, we know I'm ovulating, but 
we are still just trying to give my body that extra advantage with these things. So we took the letrozole. And then after you do that, you start getting regular ultrasounds starting about day 10 of your cycle to monitor your follicles, which is actually kind of cool because you can watch your follicles get bigger and bigger. And then once you have um, your dominant follicle reaches a certain size, they can tell you're about to ovulate. So she sent me home and had us do an Ovidrel ovulation trigger shot. So I did have to give, I didn't have to give myself shots every day, like women going through in vitro fertilization. But um, this is just like one shot that's about like an inch or two away from your belly button that goes into like the really the fatter part of your belly. I was terrified to do it, but it actually was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No. So yeah, it's not, it's not as scary as it sounds. There's, there's a lot of padding there <laughs> right? since I've already had a child. So, so it actually was not, it wasn't horrible. So we did that. And then we just did the timed intercourse. We didn't need to do IUI since our problem is that, you know, we were able to get pregnant, not just keeping the pregnancy. So, um, and then after ovulation, I think two days after that overdrill shot, she had a start endometrin, which is a vaginal progesterone that you okay. insert every single night. So this is what she had us do. And we did this a couple of times. So the very first time we did it was December, 2019, and we did get pregnant. Uh, but again, those positive lines were super faint. The HCG was just very low and just barely doubling. So I, and I love my specialist because she's a little more, I felt that she was a little more open and real with me than the OB who was trying to paint like a pretty picture right. after that, that eight week ultrasound that I didn't feel like went as well as he indicated. So she's like, you know, they're low, they are doubling, but you know, we're not going to get our hopes up, but it, I mean, it could surprise us. So I honestly would rather hear that and not get my hopes up because at this point it's just, you kind of want to guard yourself and, and just not let yourself get too excited unless you really have a reason to. And then also when you're seeing the specialist, they get you in at six weeks, which is, you know, knocks off two weeks of that long wait period. So we went in for that six week ultrasound and there was just, she said there was just barely a sack there. And that probably the only reason I hadn't just started my period was that endometrium I was taking every night. So this one was easier to physically get through. Um, I just had to stop taking the endometrium and then I got my period within a couple of days. It, and this was just kind of like a heavier than normal period. Sure. And then, so at this point, you know, we've had three miscarriages and we just, I remember my specialist telling me like, you know, down the road, we could do in vitro fertilization. And my husband and I are just kind of like, you know, at this point, we're really thinking like, should we just go for adoption instead of spending all that money and heartache trying to do in vitro when we already, we have a biological child and, yeah. and you know, it's something I've, I had always wanted and, and I'm grateful for that. And I, I would love to adopt that's still open in our future. So at this point we were really heavily considering adoption, but, um, we talked it over, we thought about it for a long time and we decided to try one more time. And my specialist wanted us to try like one or two more cycles with this letrozole before, you know, giving up or moving on to more extreme measures. So we tried 
one more time. Oh, and before we tried this last time, I said, okay, since this is like our last Hail Mary, can I have an HSG again? Which is what I had had right before I got pregnant with Elijah. Right. Where they go in and they insert that oil-based dye and they take the x-ray and make sure that your fallopian tubes are open and everything. So <clears throat> we scheduled that. We were able to do that. Then COVID came along and <laughs> delayed us by like another month, which just had me going crazy. Killer. Yes. But finally, just, yeah, I know, two months after that HSG, we were allowed to do the monitored cycle now with the letrozole, the endometrin progesterone, and the overdraw shot again. So the same formula as the last time. And we got a positive test and these lines were looking darker. I mean, I was taking tests like every other day and like taping them to a piece of paper and like watching the line get (laughs) darker, (laughs) which was like the first indication of like, okay, this one looks a lot more like Elijah's pregnancy than the three previous pregnancies. So I had like that little spark of hope, but you're still just like, okay, just don't get too attached yet, Erica, because like, let's just make it to that six week ultrasound. So we made it to that six week ultrasound. We already saw heartbeat. It was measuring exactly at six weeks. Um, and then my specialist, God love her. She just knows how anxious I am (laughs) in general (laughs) and how neurotic I tend to be. She got me in at seven weeks. She got me in at eight weeks. So we had ultrasound, we had three ultrasounds before, um, she finally was able to release us after the eight week ultrasound to my regular OB. And then, so yeah, we were released to my regular OB. We had, they gave us a 10 week ultrasound and a 12 week ultrasound. So there just throwing it all over the place. I've already met my deductible at this point with all the miscarriages. Uh, yeah. so. But luckily they, um, they have been very helpful and working with me. I mean, anytime I express to them, like how anxious I am, they're like, let's, let's just get in there. Let's just do an extra ultrasound, like whatever they can do to make me feel better. So at this point I am 23 weeks pregnant today and things have been looking good. And, you know, it's still, it's still a struggle. I mean, obviously I, definitely have my hopes up at this point. Um, but then, you know, when Chrissy Teigen had lost her baby at 20 weeks is, was the week that I turned 20 weeks. And so I still have those moments of panic or like this could just like slip through my fingers at any moment. So it's definitely still been a struggle, but we're just taking it day by day. And at this point things are looking good. So we're just really hopeful and just trying to be as happy as we can be in the moment. Cause right now we're pregnant and right now everything looks good. So it's amazing. That is my very long story. <laughs> Girl, do you not remember like the two episodes that literally took me like over an hour to tell my story? Granted, I gave a lot of detail, but still <laughs> I finished recording that thing and I was yes. like, is it really taking this long? But, and there are so many emotions and just so many different aspects to it. And it's a lot. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so interesting. One of the takeaways I feel like I just had from listening to your story and just talking with other women in general is, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is really to try and inform women of our own experiences and early miscarriages, because I do feel like 
limited resources out there when I was trying to do all the Googling mm-hmm. and figuring out what was normal, what wasn't normal, you know, like just, just all the things that swirl around your head and to really just have somebody have a conversation with me to be like, this right. Is what I experienced this is, you know what I mean? And, and, and obviously understanding that there's a spectrum, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's a spectrum of, it's all going to vary for the most part, but I think a lot of things that we're going to hit on today, I'm hoping will be really helpful for the woman that is going through this, just maybe just found out she's miscarrying or, you know, if you have a friend down the road that ends up experiencing it or gosh, you yourself, you know, you never know. It's one of those things. I think that as normal as we know it is right. Like as, as often we know it occurs, it -hmm. really doesn't feel like that because we just, a lot of us still, it's crazy that it's still so stigmatized and it's still so hush hush, but it is like, it's just something that women have a hard time discussing. And so I really want to make sure that we, provide a little bit of kind of enlightened education here, but just know it's all experience. But one of the takeaways was like how different the doctor's outlook can be and kind of mm-hmm. just the recommendations and the strategies and methods. Like, I think that that's also very interesting and something to keep maybe in the back of your mind. For sure. So like I told you with the, that one, you just want to find a doctor who lines up with, with how you want to be treated as a patient. So right. Um, like after I had seen that doctor who, and for me was just too hopeful. He painted a really good picture when I don't think it was actually that good of a picture. I, I don't see him anymore. I found, I have a girl in that office who is more, um, just tells it to me straight and and speaks with statistics. And probably if I would have seen her would have said, you know, it really should be a 120 heart rate. Um, it's measuring a little bit off this, this could be bad news. Let's get back in, in one week. He was going to let me go four weeks before I came back. So it's just finding a doctor who understands how you want to be treated, I guess, as a patient. And if you like to be proactive or take more of like a wait and see approach. And I think the first doctor was a wait and see. And I am very much a like, no, let's find out as soon as we possibly can. Like, let's get in next week and see what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Like gauging your anxiety and your stress Mm -hmm. levels, because some women are a little bit more like kind of go with the flow. They're not as anxious about it. Although I think that if you're dealing with miscarriage, it's hard not to have have a little bit of that at all. But I mean, them assessing you as a patient isn't just what's going on with your body physically. A lot of it has to be that conversation back and forth about your mental and emotional state, because a lot of that does, I do believe that that for 100% affects, you know, the growth of baby. I really do. I just think that Mm -hmm. too much Mm -hmm. stress on our, on ourselves is sometimes, you know, can, can cause some of those hormonal shifts and who knows, right? Like we don't really always know the cause, but I do think that's an important thing to consider. Yep. So I want to go back to the HSG because I feel like the last conversation we had, you were telling me that when you had proposed this to your doctor, she kind of was like, she was really great about it. Like, well, I don't really think it's going to help, but if this is what you Mm -hmm. want to do, like I'm okay with doing it. Yep. Yeah. So the specialist at this point, you know, in, in her words was, I mean, we know you can get pregnant and the HSG we know can help women get pregnant. But I just felt that, you know, if there's something going on, I know that I had had the inflammation and it just felt like there was something going on with the implantation that wasn't allowing the babies to implant properly since we just kept having chemical pregnancies. And then the ones that did stick just like weren't quite sticky enough. So 
and like I said, at this point, I was willing to just try anything. So, but she was great about letting, she's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> I think this is a really good example of one, your intuition, right? The episode we have with Megan Stouffer of like, I mean, I, and really this is not in this, this exact same thing, but, but literally, truly you have this intuition, you have, you know, whether it was based mm-hmm. on the research or your prior experience when you got pregnant with Elijah, like, I just think, you know, listening to that because the worst case scenario is you would have miscarried again and been like, why didn't we do this? Why didn't I advocate for myself more? And so then the second point is, you know, having a doctor where you feel like you're not having to fight, but you can advocate for yourself and Mm -hmm. they can, they're receptive to that. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. I want to ask you, so, you know, my experience with my miscarriages, I, um, my, my first one, there was really no sign of hemorrhaging at all. And I, mm-hmm. it seemed like I was like a week and a half or so. And then another two weeks after they waited that extra week to just double check there was a heartbeat and mm-hmm. then kind of the same deal for the second. I, my body just was like, wasn't showing signs of miscarrying. So I was left with the, you know, whole option and dilemma of, do I decide to wait and mm-hmm. let my body do its thing naturally? Which if you look into the research and the doctor said, I mean, this can take like months. It can take yes. like up to three months or something for this to happen. And I just thought, I, I don't know if my, my heart and my head can handle that. And then of yep. course you're, you're faced with, um, so it's, so it's wait and pass naturally, right? Take the pills, mm-hmm. which is misoprostol. And mm-hmm. sometimes they're combined with something else. And I can't remember the name of it. And then the fourth or the third, of course, is a DNC, which I know right. neither one of us has, has, um, had to, had to do that or decided that that was the, the choice we're going to take. But can I ask you like, with those two, is there a reason why you decided to do that instead of a DNC or just wait? Yeah. So I had those three options presented to me. The DNC, one of the biggest downfalls to the DNC for me was A, the cost, which I mean, we have a health savings account, so it's not like we couldn't have afforded it, but it's just, there's just something about spending thousands of dollars on a miscarriage that just feels like a slap in the face on top of everything you're already going through. Um, I was also worried about potential scarring, which I know could happen and could reduce your chances of being able to get pregnant in the future. But most, the most important factor, I guess, that was weighing heavily on me was I cannot walk around knowing that my baby is not alive inside of me and having no idea when my body is going to decide to just expel my baby. It could be in the grocery store while I'm trying to grocery shop. What if I have my two-year-old with me? So I just, the waiting, I just am a very type A. I like to feel somewhat in control of my life, even though obviously we have no control over (laughs) what our bodies are going to do. But right. For me, I just had to make that decision for myself for like my mental health that, you know, it was going to happen on this day. I'm going to have my husband stay home from work with me. I know when to expect it. It was a lot easier for me to mentally handle doing the, going the misoprostol route versus the DNC. Yeah, I'm with you. And you know what? A lot of the consideration, and this is just my own perspective, but with anything, I mean, I, 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 I guess go the route of the most natural possible. And for me, you know, it's almost like Mm -hmm. deciding whether you want to give birth at home or if you want to give birth in the hospital or what those differences are. It's like, of course, you're going to be more comfortable at your own home um, and letting that process Mm -hmm. just happen. 
versus being in the hospital where I just think that sometimes there's like those added stressors and, you know, it's interesting too, mm-hmm. that both, both, I had two different doctors, right? Cause one was in Kodiak and then the other one was here when we got to Florida and the first doctor yep. basically didn't, she basically said that, you know, the, whether I was going to do the pills or the DNC, like their, the risk rate was the exact same thing. And I think I found that that's not exactly the case mm-hmm. now, but and then the doctor here was really straightforward with me of, and he probably sensed a little bit of my, my preferences because I had asked him some other questions yeah. and he probably was like not used to getting, but you know, he was just like, I don't really want to see you go through a surgery and tr- more trauma if you don't have to. And so it's just interesting mm-hmm. how, the, and, it, and that's probably all perspective too. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I just felt like I wanted, if I wanted to be in the comfort of my home and I didn't want the waiting period and I felt like if I did the pills, at least it was my body actually going through the process of it. Right. I don't know. I, and I also really yeah. thought that mentally, emotionally, it was going to be hard for me to be at the hospital. I just thought, I think I might have more scarring here, like just mental and emotional scarring yeah. if I did this. Yep. The second time I will say I was a little more tempted for the DNC because at this point, you know, so the first one, like I said, earlier was, you know, oh, this could just be a chance thing. So I didn't have, um, my doctor didn't talk to me about like trying to catch a sample or submit it for testing or anything. But the second time around, we did consider the DNC only because I thought it might be easier for them to retrieve the sample and send it in for testing versus my trying to catch it at home. But my doctor did tell me, so we did, we talked about this last time too. Yeah. So we did, I caught a sample the second time and I brought it into the OB for them to do analysis on. And then we get a bill in the mail for like, <laughs> I don't even remember like thousands of dollars. What? And then the doctor calls and is like, oh, by the way, they tried to analyze it, but there wasn't enough of a sample there for them to analyze it thoroughly. And I'm like, I gave you everything. Like I couldn't have given you any more than what I gave you. That's what came out. Yeah. Frustrating. We had, so we had, we had somewhat similar experiences on this and I want to rewind really quick. So what Erica's talking about, and I, I spoke on this and my, when I was telling my miscarriage stories in the past couple episodes, Mm -hmm. but the doctor kind of has their own, their own strategy about going about this and, usually you're not maybe even offered this unless you are technically recurrent miscarriages, which would mean Mm -hmm. three or more. And I was on two. Um, And thankfully my doctor was really, he's just been really proactive and compassionate and have, has a lot of empathy, I think for women going through this and families. And he doesn't, if we can do something like right away versus waiting for the third one, like let's, let's do that. So I love that about him, but so what they do is they, if you're going to go for, if you're not going to, if you opt out of the DNC, they will say, you know, we're, we can do this genetic testing where you take a sample of tissue. And by that, we mean like you are, when you take the misoprostol pills and you are expelling um, the fetus and all the blood clots and the placenta, everything, the tissue, right? Anything goes along with that. You are saving this and then you will submit it, put it in a kit or a Tupperware or something. And you end up delivering that back to the hospital. They'll send it off to a lab. And what they do is they do some genetic testing on the, like on the blood work of that fetus, of that baby, of this pregnancy specifically, so they can see if there's any chromosomal deficiencies that may have caused the miscarriage. Um, and you, you truly can't get this exact same information unless you have this specific tissue. So mm-hmm. 
in a DNC, right, they have more control over taking this. But what I learned in Eric and I swapping stories, and I'm going to speak to Erica's first, is that were you told to gather everything? I was told to gather anything with substance, like, okay, you know, any type of tissue that I could see. Right. And they, and they said, just gather as much as you can. But for me with that second miscarriage, I mean, I passed the fetus and everything all in one go and I caught it all. The rest was just bleeding like a heavy period. So I caught every tissue. It went straight into that Tupperware. I was so proud of myself. I really thought we were going to get some answers with this. And so I was really frustrated when when we found out that, you know, it just still wasn't enough. And that is actually quite common. And that is the, and so this goes back to the whole like doctor's office, doctor's different. So I was actually told just get some tissue. It doesn't matter how much, just get some tissue. And mm-hmm. so for you guys, I didn't really speak to this in, in my episode. I didn't really go, go through it. Cause I think I thought maybe we would talk about it today, but mm-hmm. so I did not, he, I, I just got the yolk sack. As soon as I went to the bathroom, basically the first time, everything kind of mm-hmm. passed all at once. And yep. so I, Cameron had got this like this wire strainer and uh-huh. a um, turkey baster. Oh, see, they gave me oh, a bunch of stuff God. at my doctor. No. They gave they me gave like me- a toilet <laughs> thing to catch it what? in. They gave me like a ton of different Tupperwares to put it in and to bring it back in. My Lanta. Okay. <laughs> Let's, I, I even asked like, what do I do? Like, how do I catch this? Like, what do you have a suggestion? And he's like, I don't care. Like, I don't know. I don't care. You just do it this way. Okay. All right. Good to know. Anyhow. So I got Cameron, (laughs) my sweet husband went and got me this turkey baster and this wire strainer. I mean, I literally, you know, had to get down to the bottom of the toilet Mm -hmm. and suck this thing up. And, um, yep. It's like such an unreal moment. I mean, yeah. I really tried to not look at it for too long because I could, mm-hmm. you know, like the emotions were just in your, and we'll talk about the hormones later, but anyway, so I did what I had to do and it was all perfectly intact. It was so much, like there was so much tissue. The entire thing was completely intact. And so I set mine off and I'm, I had called back in cause no one was, re- no one was coming back to me and responding to me. And they'd said the exact same thing that they didn't have enough tissue. And I was really, really, really upset about this. I'm sure just like you, like we thought, I mean, the best case scenario for this is you get not, like right that the results came back that there was no chromosomal deficiencies, right? Like, right. At it's nice to have an answer, you, but yeah, but that's not the kind of answer you want because those are, those are hard things to fix, you know? So right. anyway, but it, but what Erica, what you said was that your doctor, the lab came back to you and said, it's pretty normal not to, not, not to get like for it to come back inconclusive in these, in these situations. So I just wanted to tell you women, I wish I would have known a little bit of about this. And I wish I would have basically had a very direct conversation and maybe even called the lab first who would have been doing the testing to ask them specifically. Cause when I called them after all this happened, mm-hmm. cause I said, what, what would you have told me to do? You know, if you, if you're going to give directions to the client or to the, to the patient or the doctor's office, like, what do you tell them? And she said, I would have said, you need, you know, like you, like your doctor did, like you need to save everything. Like you need to like put the placenta, I guess is really what they typically like to use to test if they have it. So okay. it's something yeah. good to know. I mean, I think you just need to be really, it is expensive. So mm-hmm. if you're going to spend that money, I think you really do want to ensure that it's something that is going to give you some results. And if you're getting responses, like it's very unlikely, then it's up to you to really decide if that's something that you feel like is worth, worth, worth going through the process of having to retrieve it. 
and worse exactly that you're going to spend and and that risk and reward. So, and the last thing I think we need to mention, and we had reached out to the Facebook community, the, the Mama Collective on Facebook about this yesterday. Like, hey, we're going to do this episode. Is there anything anybody wants feels like needs to be said? And I don't know if you saw this, Erica, but a couple of the the ladies were saying that so they. I think had to go on for the DNC. I'm not sure they opted for it. We haven't gotten the story behind that. But when they did, they had to sign a form that basically said they were signing off for an abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I and, think is. Yeah. Any miscarriage. Um, I remember seeing spontaneous abortion on a lot of my like paperwork, a lot of like the bills that I would receive. I can't remember exactly where I saw it. It's all kind of a blur because there were so many. But yeah, seeing that word abortion thrown around all over the place is just like another, just, I don't know. It's adding insult to injury. It feels like when you're going through it. Yeah. For sure. All right. That's where we're going to leave it for today. An effort to make these episodes a little bit more digestible in smaller chunks, we've split this conversation into two parts. So part two with Erica will be coming out on Thursday, the 29th. Subscribe so you can see when it drops and listen to it ASAP. We're going to dive a little bit further into kind of the more details of the mental, emotional, and physical experience and recovery of the miscarriage itself. We're also going to talk about spousal coping and why this loss is so painful, misunderstood, and the true blessing and curse of the motherhood connection of growing life. I hope you'll stay tuned and listen in. All my love, guys. Hey, mamas, before you peace out, if what you just heard inspired you, made you feel like you've got a new BFF, or simply reminded you of another mama, please share this episode or the podcast, and be sure to tag me if you share it on social. My hope is to touch as many of you as possible and drive this mama-led movement. If you're with me, and I know that you are, please take a minute and leave a review. Hearing from you makes my heart so happy, and your review could encourage another mama in need to hop on this journey with us. So let's make a pact. I'll bring the fire, and in return, you help me strengthen our mama collective so we may together make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. Let's get it, mama.